Kitty Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Christy Kumia. Dr. Kumia joined the Humane Society Silicon Valley as Vice President Medical Operations in November 2012. Then in July 2014, she stepped into her current role as Chief of Shelter Medicine to oversee medical and shelter operations. In 2013, in July, Dr. Kamiya completed a three-year intensive residency training program in shelter medicine from the University of California, Davis School of Veterinary Medicine. Dr. Kamiya is one of a handful of residency-trained shelter veterinarians in the country. She holds a Doctor of Veterinary Medicine degree and a Master's of Business Administration degree from Colorado State University. Prior to her residency, Dr. Camillo worked as a shelter veterinarian in humane societies, municipal shelters, and rescues in the Denver-Boulder areas of Colorado, the greater Phoenix metro area of Arizona, and Northern California. Dr. Camillo has a soft spot for community cats and enjoys traveling and volunteering with organizations that provide veterinary support for underserved areas in the U.S. and internationally. In her free time, Dr. Kamiya delights in fostering underage shelter kittens and spending time outdoors with her adopted shelter dogs. Dr. Kamiya, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So how did you get started? My first exposure to shelters was when I was about nine years old. My grandmother uh, showed me a picture of a dog in the newspaper, and it was a dog of the week. And she asked me, do you want to get this dog? And we went and talked about all the responsibilities and of taking care of a dog, feeding, cleaning, vet bills, and all that stuff. And so we made a deal that I would take care of this dog, and she would provide the support for it. And so we went. First thing in the morning, uh, we had to draw numbers because there was a lottery type, or the first come, first serve. And we were the first family to get there. And so we were able to adopt this little puppy that had been relinquished to the pound uh, because it chewed up someone's slippers. And as a nine-year-old, I thought that was that was the craziest thing. Right. Uh, but, but this dog ended up being my best friend. And after wandering through this, this humane society, uh, I decided that I would come back to volunteer. Um, according to my dad, um, I've wanted to be a veterinarian since I was a toddler except for a period of time when I was eight or something where I wanted to be an auto mechanic, but that was very (laughs) short-lived. And so I I went through my life knowing that I would be a veterinarian. And as soon as I was old enough as a teenager, I did go back and volunteered, and I volunteered all through college and, um, and into vet school. And going into vet school, I didn't realize at that point that being a shelter veterinarian was even an option. Um, I, I didn't know that it existed. But by the time I did graduate from veterinary school, I knew that's what I was going to do, um, and that's what I was going to be. And that is 
kind of the where I ended up, and, and I'm still doing this <laughs> 10 years later. I am still a shelter veterinarian. Um, I have expanded my role from, you know, working in the trenches, working in the clinical setting to now more of a leadership role and overseeing the uh, entire shelter, both in the medical side and the shelter operations. Did you have any sort of a specific event that introduced you to the challenges with regards to community cats? Yes. This was before the the residency when I was working, you know, at, at multiple shelters in multiple states. And the biggest thing I noticed was that all of these shelters had similar challenges with sick cats. A, a lot of my time was spent treating upper respiratory infection in cats. And, uh, you know, depending on the shelter, the ability to treat upper respiratory infection in cats varied. You know, in some places, there is no ability to treat and the only outcome is euthanasia. In other places, you are allowed to treat, but there's a timeline. If your cat doesn't get well in a certain amount of time, there aren't very many options. Or if there's another group of cats that get sick, you need to make room in isolation. So then it's a matter of, well, who are you going to treat? And when you're in the trenches and having to deal with this on a daily basis, you don't necessarily have the time to think about why. Why is this happening? Why do we have so much upper respiratory infection in cats? Why can't we figure this out? Why do they keep getting sick? And you don't have time to answer those questions. And part of the reason for going into the residency and taking a a different approach about thinking about these things, that's kind of what, what pushed me in that direction. I asked those questions and, you know, I thought about that a lot. Why do these cats get sick and why can't we stop it? And it wasn't until being in the residency, being in that academic environment where you can really think about those questions and go look for the answers and find those answers. And what we've found, you know, in, in the past decade or so is that there is a connection between stress and illness and housing and all of those things looking at sheltering holistically that ultimately has an effect on the health of a cat. And that was really fascinating to me. That, that was one of the coolest things that I think I've done um, in my career is to be able to pursue those questions as a resident in shelter medicine. And since then, cat health, um, infectious disease and sheltering, and that has been a passion of mine of looking at how can we make this better? How can we reduce upper respiratory infection in cats in shelters? And how can we keep them comfortable, keep them healthy? So you've been with the Humane Society Silicon Valley uh, for about four years, it looks like. One thing that came across to me in looking at the website is that the organization really strives to be innovative, really progressive with its programs. Can you expand a little bit on that? So when I first started almost four years ago here at Humane Society Silicon Valley, we you know, had similar issues with um, upper respiratory infection. And you know, we did see quite a bit of that here. And what I wanted to do is address those things. And with this new found knowledge, having gone through the residency, there were a lot of things that 
could be changed in a shelter, and, and not just our shelter, but I think for a lot of shelters across the country, or in, it, just in general, there, there are simple things that you can do in a shelter that will have significant effects on the health of cats. Um, one of the first things I did here was cutting holes in uh, stainless steel cages. And if and anyone's familiar with the UC Davis Shelter Medicine Program is probably familiar with portalizing cat cages. And if you're not, I, I highly recommend going to the sheltermedicine.com website and, and checking that out. But what the portalizing process is, is you have your typical stainless steel box. Um, it's usually about two by two or, you know, two and a half feet by two feet or whatever the sizes are. And they're your traditional housing for cats in a shelter. And just by cutting a hole in it and creating double the space, but not just double the space, you're allowing the separation of the kitten's living quarters from their poop box. So you put litter box on one side and you put the bed and food and water dish on the other side. And that has a huge effect on the level of stress on the cat. And if you can minimize the amount of stress, you'll also minimize the amount of illnesses that you see in cats. And um, this was a actually a really hard sell for the shelter. Uh, here, here I was, this brand new vet coming in and saying, hey, I want to cut all these holes in these stainless steel cages, and they're not cheap. And the questions that I got were, so you're going to cut holes in cages. You're going to effectively half the number of functional space that you have here. And so what does that mean? Does that mean we're going to increase the number of euthanasias or is that going to put more animals at risk because we don't have enough, we don't have as many housing space. And, and I said, no, no, that, that's absolutely untrue. And it, it was a huge leap of faith on the part of the organization to move forward with this project, but we went ahead and did it. It, it was a huge leap of faith mm -hmm. and I promised and I don't make, I don't take promises lightly and mm -hmm. I always keep my promises and I promise that we would not euthanize more cats because of the holes in the cages. And I swore, if I wasn't comfortable and confident in this, I would never have made that promise. But that's how much confidence I had in knowing the effects of cutting holes in cages would have on our population. So we did it in stages. We did it first in our isolation cages where we treat upper respiratory infection. And then we staged it in other areas of the shelter to minimize the impact. So it probably took us about six months to cut about 50 holes in all of our cages. And we have about three years of data since cutting those holes in cages. And I kept my promise. We did not euthanize any more cats. In fact, we euthanized less. Since then, uh, there's been an upper trajectory of our save rate. Um, and we're over 90% in our overall save rate and pretty close to 90% just looking at cats. And our upper respiratory infection rate has gone down significantly to the point where a lot of times during the year, our ISO ward is completely empty. And so what we started doing was transferring cats with upper respiratory infection from other shelters to treat here. So we've 
been able to not only increase our life-saving capacity, but we've also been able to help with our partner shelters and increase their life-saving capacity. So it's been, it's been great. I think that was the most significant thing that we've been able to accomplish here at HSSB as far as saving cats was cutting holes in cages. It seems a little counterintuitive, but it um, it definitely had a huge impact here. Well, it, it makes sense. I mean, of all the years of having cats in those smaller cages and, you know, all they have to do is step in the litter box and the litter is inevitably going to end up in the water bowl. So it, it makes a lot of practical sense to, to actually have somewhat of a barrier between your water and your food between the litter because the litter is going to be, no matter what you're using, it's going to get messy. And no matter how little of it you're using, it's still going to get messy. And you need to keep it separate just from that sort of practical standpoint. And it, all in all, it helps your volunteers or helps your staff who are doing mm-hmm. the cleaning. It, it's a stress reliever for the people as well as for the cats, too. When, when you don't have that separation, it's really difficult to adequately clean the cage without taking the cat out. And with the portal, you can just kind of push the cat to the other side and clean one side and then go and clean the other side and you know push the cat on the other side again. Right. And so it's a lot kinder to the cat without having to take them out, putting them in a crate while you're cleaning and you know messing up their home, which in itself is very stressful for the cat. And now let's take a moment to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Ready to make a big difference for cats in your community? We've got an exciting opportunity that can jumpstart your efforts. The Community Cats Podcast has launched Community Cats Grants. When you qualify for this innovative program, you'll gain valuable knowledge about how to raise funds for your spay-neuter efforts. Plus, we'll match the funds you raise up to $1,000, doubling your ability to make a difference for cats. Fundraising doesn't have to be scary. We'll be with you every step of the way. Check it out. You can find all of the details on the Community Cats podcast website under our education menu. Let's join forces to make the world a better place for community cats. Does HSSV have any spay-neuter programs for community cats? Yes, we do. So we, we actually have quite a few programs specifically for community cats. So we do have a, a TNR program here, um, and it is free and open to any cat in Santa Clara County. We do recommend making an appointment with us to bring uh, cats and traps, but we will never turn a cat and a trap away. And so if you show up here with a couple of cats that were caught in the neighborhood, we will do them. We will. Um, our services include spay-neuter, vaccine, ear-tipping, microchipping, defling, deworming, um, and that is all free for Santa Clara County residents. The other thing that we also have is a working cat slash garden cat program. A a few years ago, looking at our save rate for cats and looking at where the cats are at most risk, at the top of the list was our uh, underage kittens. Those kittens, um, I think in a lot of shelters, are at risk the most. And the second was community cats. And these were community cats that we didn't have the ability to 
send them back out to where they came from uh, for whatever reason. The reasons could range from the colony was being displaced or there was construction going on or it just wasn't a safe environment to go back. If a feral cat shows up here at the shelter, there's, there are very little options for them to go back out into the community, back to their homes. And so what we created here was a community cat garden. This was a, a cool story too. We were sitting in a manager's meeting talking about community cats and talking about what can we do to help these guys out. Um, at, at that point, there were very few adoptions that were happening, very few barn cat options for these cats. We had some transfer partners where we could transfer these cats out to go live in someone's barn, but we didn't have a formalized program. And right outside of our, our meeting room is a little garden area. It's a little space that's fenced in and it's nicely landscaped. And someone looked out the window and they were like, wouldn't it be cool if we could just keep them here and adopt them out ourselves? And that was a brilliant idea. And so we ran with it. And what we ended up doing was converting the out, outside space into a safe outdoor cat garden. And so we got some uh, donated furniture. We had uh, an Eagle Scout who did a project to build some insulated cat boxes for us. And we made sure it was cat safe and uh, we had put up some cat fencing and we started a pilot. We do a lot of pilots here um, and pilot projects are cool because there isn't that level of commitment as a full-fledged program has. And so if you try a pilot and it doesn't work, you know, it's okay to discontinue it because it was just a pilot. So we weren't quite sure how this was going to work out. So we set some criteria for who would be able to go out there and how many casts that we would be able to do um, at any given time. And and then we, we went for it. These cats that don't have an option to go back into the uh, community were put into our community cats garden and put up for adoption. And it was a very successful program. And this was several years ago. But we also wanted to make sure that there, there was support for the adopters. And so just like any other adoptions that we do here at HSSB, we do provide support afterwards. And so we will help with the transition of the community cat into their new home. And the homes might be, uh, you know, barns. Uh, gardens, vineyards, just someone's backyard, someone who might be allergic to a cat but really wants a cat, these cats are options for them as well. And so we will rent out or let people borrow large enclosures. They're usually large Great Dane-sized kennels where people can use that to help with the transition of the community cat into their home. And we'll provide phone support you know, for as long as they need. And that's been a very, very successful program for us. We've been able to adopt out many, many cats that otherwise would not have had an option. That's great. It's great to bring them right into your own backyard, literally. Absolutely. <laughs> so if people are interested in finding out more about you or the Humane Society of Silicon Valley, uh, how could they do that? Uh, you can check out our website. That's hssv.org. Uh, we are also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we're on social media, and you can find out more information about us, about what we do, about community cat adoptions, TNR programs, all of that can be found on our website. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? What, what I do want to mention is that 
animal sheltering or, you know, sheltering in general is a community effort and ways that you can help your local shelter is by you know, signing up as a foster parent. And it's not just providing financial support, but also volunteering, going in and spending time socializing the shelter animals or fostering kittens. Um, that's one of the most rewarding things that you can do is taking in these underage kittens and giving them a safe place to grow up. They just need some food, some love, a warm place to hang out for a couple of weeks and before going up for adoption. But highly recommend and highly encourage people to become involved with your local animal shelter. Being in the fall, we've gone through a, a long summer of foster care and it continues into the fall, continues year round for yes. many communities. <laughs> the kitten season never ends at this point in time. So it's it's really good to encourage all members of the community to try and help the cats. And it sounds like you have a, a great supportive network around the Humane Society Silicon Valley. And just it's it's exciting to hear the work that, that you're doing. And hopefully the work will spread even across the country. It sounds like you're willing to share your resources and your knowledge and advice with others. So I do hope that people reach out to you to find out more about the work that you're doing. So Dr. Camille, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on my show today, and uh, hopefully you'll be able to be on in the future. Thank you so much, and I hope so as well. Thank you for listening to Community Cats Podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 